Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Well, I'm glad that you're with me this morning. It is good to be with you in service. My name is Bethany. I'm one of the pastors here. Just wanted to welcome you to our YouTube service here at our church. Uh, so we are going to be in James. We're back in James again for a little bit. Um, and I just wanted to give us some feedback about what James is going into right now because he's talking about plans. And I don't know about you, but I know that for myself, I have experienced a lot of disrupted plans in the last number of months, right? Like this year more than ever, are we experiencing our plans failing? A global pandemic has forced us all to reevaluate everything we do. It's, it's made us have to see what's really important. It's caused us to acknowledge the frailty of life and the reality that there really are no guarantees, no matter how concrete our plans might be. And today's passage in James will show us that our plans aren't really our plans anyway. That everything we do, whether we acknowledge it or not, is under the absolute authority of God. And the correct posture we're meant to live in is in that recognition of God's absolute authority and our dependence upon God for every part of our lives, planned or disrupted. So what we're gonna see today is this shift in our perspective, a needed shift in our perspective. So let me read from James chapter four. We'll read verses 13 to 17 today. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? Do you, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. May the Lord add a blessing to this reading. So I don't know if you know this, but we actually skipped this passage of James, and I wondered at first why we accidentally skipped this passage from our series in James. Like, I know how we did. (laughs) I totally understand how it happened. But why? Did God move us to miss this part of James for a reason? We can can always dig into the reasons, right, of, of why, and we can tack meaning onto situations where meaning does or even doesn't belong, which we oftentimes do, especially in the church. But I understand that tendency. The, the, the reality is, though, is that all of life is soaked in the divinity of God. Every part of life on this earth is the stuff of God, where God is the absolute authority, where God is the alpha and omega, who is final, who is the beginning and the end. And, and doesn't it make sense to acknowledge the sovereignty, maybe, of skipping this passage of scripture until today. I mean, if we look at it, it seems like it fits really well. Oftentimes, most scripture seems to fit really well with where we're in, but today is All Saints Day. 
It is just a couple days before the United States presidential election. It seems like there's a lot of relevance for where we're at right now. These are kind of some big questions to have though, big thoughts about like, it, what does it mean to have these kind of heavy connotations to life? Because what does it mean then? If, if God's will for us to not do that passage of scripture until today, what does God's will mean in, in everyday life? Like, what does it mean for the terrible parts of life? If we're saying that everything is God's will, does God have control over a child's death or a horrific war or a devastating hurricane? Like the one right now that is actually attacking the Philippines right now? Is it God's will that bad things happen all the time. I mean, it's one thing to tack on if it's God's will to our vacation plans or to a, a business venture, but it's a whole different thing when we tack on if it's God's will to a child whose small body is full of cancer. Is it God's will? Isn't that so often our question? Is it God's will that Trump is in office? Didn't God use that Persian King Cyrus for God's will in helping the exiled Jews in Babylon return to their land and to rebuild their temple? I mean, in the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Ezra, we read about God's will in using a pagan king for God's purposes. So what's to say that God isn't using Trump or might use Biden if he's elected? or that God used Obama or any other United States president to accomplish God's will. Isn't it true that God continually uses imperfect people to accomplish the purpose of God from the beginning of time into today? Perhaps the issue isn't necessarily in the leader, but in the people. When we fix our eyes on a leader, an emperor, on parliament, or a president, or on a prime minister as the bearer of good news, or as the savior of the world, like we think like, if this person's elected, then we'll get to stop abortion. And if this person's elected, then we'll get to stop climate change. And we look at these leaders as the savior, as the redeemer, as the bearer of good news for the rest of the world. When our gaze is fixed on leaders to, to be the end all and be all, our gaze is then misguided and it can be easily corrupted. Is it God's will that these leaders are in the places they are in? Maybe God used a donkey and a tax collector and a murderer for God's will to be accomplished. But the, the difference is a person's or animal's acknowledgement of God's will. Or maybe simply the acknowledgement of God. When James is speaking towards what he is speaking towards here is a total acknowledgement that every part of life is under the authority and sovereignty of God. The leaders are not the authority and they are not sovereign. 
to look at them as if they are is actually a form of idolatry, which I am seeing that is happening all over in the church today, in the American church. There is a form of idolatry where we are fixing our gaze on the things that are not of God because we are fixing our eyes, our gaze on something other than God. I mean, we have to trust that God will deal with corrupt and narcissistic leaders whose God is greed and their love and their first love is power. And, and, you know, you can look at the, in the book of Daniel, there's Nebuchadnezzar and he's a king and he is somebody who has a lust for greed and power. His desire is to be worshiped and to be praised. And that was his downfall. You can read about it in that prophetic book of Daniel. But God will use people in positions of power to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. We see this all over. We see it even within ourselves. But then to look at those people as savior or as redeemer or believing that America will be saved by their leadership is a sin. That doesn't mean we don't vote. It doesn't mean that we might believe one candidate is better than the other. But our hope is not in kings or kingdoms, but in the grace of God through Jesus Christ, who was not born into royalty, but was born into poverty. And whatever comes our way, nothing can change the absolute nature of God or our purposes in the world as Christ followers. Friends, James reminds us that we are a mist, that we are a vapor, that we are a blip on the timeline of life. Our lives are forever passing away. And we look back on memories and we wonder where has all the time gone? Like, how did we get here so quickly? We have kids that are teenagers and all these different things come about in our minds. Why do we think like that? It's because we all know how short life is, even if we get to an old age. But most of us have also experienced the grief of someone dying too young or too early, a heart attack at 35, an aneurysm at 11, cancer at 22, a car accident at 16. I mean, death is guaranteed. It's certain and not one of us will survive it. And this is, it's, it's a sad reality. It just is because life on earth is really good. I mean, even when it's been really hard and we've got, it's chock full of trauma, it's still really good. We all still experience the beautiful parts of life. Every moment we have breath in our bodies on this side of eternity is a gift from God. It is grace upon grace. And I think James wants us to wake up, to see the reality of death, the quick passing nature of life and to allow that to, to then shift our perspective away from the lie of invincibility or immortality and the belief that we don't need God in our plans. James wants to shift our perspective away from that sense of self-centeredness and onto God with this open-handed posture towards life expecting holy interruptions and holy disruptions from God into our plans. If I make a plan for me, 
and my purposes, regardless of how important or strategic or meaningful they are, if they are for me and for my purposes and not for God to use these plans for God and God's purposes, then I have to hold steady within all these plans at all costs. I have to make sure they go through the way that I decided they needed to go through. And I will do this when I do this. If I'm holding on to my plans with all my might, when I do this and God is not included in that, then I will forever be blindsided by the car accident that happens or when somebody gets sick and disrupts my plans. I will be blindsided when my kitchen floods from my dishwasher, when a global pandemic destroys the vacation that I was counting on and I really need it. But when I see that every moment of life is a gift of grace from God, those disruptions and interruptions can become moments of good, eventually at least, if not right away. These things that James writes about are human things. They often come in the place of uh, fear or anxiety. Like we ask, is it God's will? Is it God's will? Is a global pandemic God's will? Is a flooded kitchen God's will? Is a dying child God's will? Is this presidential election God's will? I think we're asking the wrong question. I think we need a paradigm shift within our perspective. Not, is it God's will? But is it God's? Is it God's? Instead of anxiety and fear driving our posture, relief and surrender is our new posture. I'm going to pop up here for a second because I feel like it's coming on here. You know, I, I have to look at it and be like, okay, is my life God's? Is my grief God's? Is my marriage God's? Is my church God's? Are my plans God's? And God will use all things, whether it's painful things, broken things, beautiful things, challenging things, hard things in your life for good. But we can only see the good when we can see Jesus Christ in it all. We are invited to take a posture of open-handedness and surrender. No longer must we plan out every detail determined to see those plans through in that exact same way that we needed it planned out. No longer must we control every outcome and play God in every circumstance. No longer must we see the current moment as more urgent than ever and so we have to re react immediately. No longer are you the puppet master of your own destiny, directing everyone and everything. Instead, you are invited to release, to let go, to trust that God is absolute. I mean, what a, what a relief, right? Like we live in this God-soaked world where eternity isn't something that happens when we take our last breath here on earth. Eternity has always existed. And while well, death is a very sad part of our reality. 
while the mist of our lives feels short and sometimes insignificant, our lives with Jesus Christ is forever and the most meaningful because the end of our lives are not actually the ending. God is not limited by our timetables. Amen. James invites a shift in our perspective. The point isn't having all the answers. The point is Jesus. But it doesn't necessarily feel resolved, does it? We want clear answers. But God isn't a lawnmower parent. <laughs> we know the person of Jesus is the fullness of God. So to follow Jesus is to follow God. We know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But God isn't a lawnmower parent making a clear path before you, removing any stones or any hard spots so for you, you to have this life of comfort and ease. God is not pushing the path forward for you. God gives us guidelines on how to live with what it means in this world to love God and love people. There's guidelines in place for us, but how we live within those guidelines are a lot of the ways up to us. Discipleship means that we get to live our lives as if Jesus was living his life, that the life that you have today. I think it was Dallas Willard who said that. The decisions you make, the places you live, the person you marry, the job you have, the church you attend, most often God won't give you like this word from heaven or an answer of like, well, should I take this job or not? But God does give you the wisdom to make decisions within God's guidelines and within dependence on God's presence, which really removes all chances for pride and arrogance to fester. What are the guidelines of God? What is required of us as God's people? It is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is to do justice to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. We know what it means to live within these guidelines. And James asks at the very end, he says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So we check our hearts, that posture before God. We check what it is that we are meant to do within those guidelines. And then we live open-handedly to be used by God because God is absolute. So we once asked, is it God's will? But now we humbly ask, is it God's will?